Good morning. My name is Chad, and uh, I'm going to bring you God's word here today. I'd like to just start out with a word of prayer. Dear God, I'm so thankful for today. I thank you so much that um, you gave us um, Bridgeway Community Church, this body of believers, that we can come together wherever we are, whatever we're doing, in whatever space we're in, and we can worship you. And we can learn about you, and we can pray to you, and all of it happens, whether we're here or there. I thank you so much that you hear us, and your Holy Spirit is in us, and dwells in us, and that you're here with us today, and you join us together as a family. In your name I pray, amen. So I want to start out this morning um, with a little story. This last week, Nick had mentioned that Darren was out canoeing with the with the youth, and so was I. And so I was out there with my kayak, and I move a little quicker, I'm a little stronger with a kayak than um, maybe a couple of teenage girls in a canoe. And so we were at Cabri Regional Park, and if you can picture, if you've ever driven across the bridge at um, the landing, you would see uh, sort of the width, I'm sure everybody has, you would see about approximate width, well it's about the same all the way to Cabri Park, which is west. And the wind had come up on the day after we had gotten there, and we were going to go out and canoe a little bit going west, and the wind was from the west. And because of that, it's a little bit more difficult to paddle. And so there were a couple of girls who had said, hey, I wanna, we want to go in a canoe together today. And so they headed out in the canoe, and they headed out into the middle of the lake. Now, if you're going sideways to the waves, it's relatively easy to do. And so you're going along, and... And then they had to turn and follow everybody else into the waves and into the wind. And everybody did that, and so did they, and everybody sort of kept moving along. But these two young ladies paddled and paddled and paddled. 20 minutes later, they had not gone anywhere. Uh, that's the ultimate in exasperation. That's the ultimate. Now, I wasn't close to them, but I was hanging around. I was over near shore, and they were in the little middle of the lake. And I looked over, and I saw that they were exasperated. Malie all of a sudden put her legs over the side of the canoe, and I saw absolutely no um, paddling was going on. And I saw their shoulders just do this. And I realized, yes, they were done. They did not know what to do. They were contemplating going back to the camp. So I threw a, I had a rope with me and I threw it in the back and I went over there and I tied onto them and I pulled them up to where everybody else was. And we all paddled, three people in a convoy paddling together. Um, it was significant in that day, on Tuesday, that they were at a place where it seemed hopeless, where they weren't going anywhere that the goal, which was to reach everybody else and have a fun time canoeing west of the campground, just wasn't going to happen. I'm going to read the passage this morning, and we're going to go through some context and uh, try and apply that story a little later. Psalm 83 is where we're coming from. I'll let you turn in your Bibles at home there, or you can just listen. I find... I like to listen to sermons most when I'm driving down the road. If you're like me, don't, don't get out your Bible, okay? Just drive down the road, you listen. Verse 1. God, do not keep silent. Do not be deaf, God. Do not be quiet. See how your enemies make an uproar 
Those who hate you have acted arrogantly. They devise clever schemes against your people. They conspire against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation so that Israel's name will no longer be remembered. For they have conspired with one mind. They form an alliance against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Even Assyria has joined them. They lend support to the sons of Lot. Deal with them as you did with Midian, as you did with Sisera and Jabin at the Kishon River. They were destroyed at Endor. They became manure for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, and all their tribal leaders like Zeba and Zamuna, who said, let us seize God's pastures for ourselves. Make them like tumbleweed, my God, like straw before the wind. As fire burns a forest, as a flame blazes through mountains, so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame so that they will seek your name, Lord. Let them be put to shame and terrified forever. Let them perish in disgrace. May they know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over the whole earth. So what's going on here? What are we seeing? Well, I like to split things into small C context, what's going on in their world right there, and a big C context, what's going on in the bigger picture. So let's look at the small C context first. Scholars haven't quite identified when exactly this psalm was written. They can guess and they can say, well, because they mentioned Lot in there, it probably, maybe, I don't know. Um, but from the psalm, we can know that Israel as a nation was under threat. They, the nations around them were conspiring against them. They were all getting together. They were surrounded, this nation and this nation and this nation, even these people over here and even those people, and they all just want to get us. It is obvious that this situation is dire. And Asaph is ripped right off. At least that's, that's the reading that I get from this. He's mad. He's a little angry and frustrated at God, definitely. He says right at the start, are you, even, are you even listening? Can you hear this? Like, take note of this. Don't be deaf. Don't be quiet. What is going on in the big C context? Well, the big C context isn't just a minor thing. Asaph may not know all about it, but it's real and it's important. You need to understand that Israel and God, in that time, in the Bible, were inextricably linked. Inextricably is the word that came to my mind, and I thought, hmm, I think that's the right word, so I looked it up, and it said, cannot separate. They are intertwined, like you just can't get it apart, okay? Like, uh, I watch at home where um, my girls try and comb their hair out, and sometimes, like, Danae hardly ever does that. It's a big, nasty mess on her head, and it's like, she can't get her brush through her hair. It's in, entwined with one another, and Israel and God the idea of the God of the universe that was over all things were like that. And so when he talks about it, Asaph talks about it, let's go to verse 4 and 5. Asaph says, 
they say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation so that Israel's name will no longer be remembered. For they have expired with one mind to form an alliance against you. Asaph doesn't say to form an alliance against Israel. He connects Israel and God. They are together. You can't separate them. That's the way he looked at it. That's the way the Israelites looked at it. That's the way the nations around them looked at it. That's an important thing. Why is this so critical? Well, the nations wanted to destroy Israel. Let's just go back a bit, more than a bit, quite a ways. The whole point of the Bible, this thing that you're reading right now, looks towards Jesus or at Jesus or back on Jesus or towards the future. But you know what? Jesus is always the point. And so we go back to Adam and Eve. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were removed from the garden. And from that point on, God had a plan to save his people, to bring him back to him. That plan went through Israel. And so if the nations destroyed Israel, the plan was done. There would be no saving anyone. It went through Israel because Jesus came from Israel and God laid it all out. This is how it's going to happen. It's how it's going to happen. That's why that's pretty important here. Let's go back to Asaph. Asaph is definitely venting. I definitely sense that he's like, uh. Now, I don't typically, when I'm angry, write a song about it. But apparently, Asaph is a songwriter. And it comes to him naturally. And I, I just, I, I wonder how much the Holy Spirit, the Spirit was working with him that time to, to vent, to make this known. I'm assuming that this, these psalms are songs that the Israelites sang. And so, how would you feel if one of the songs we sang this morning was as dark as this one, okay? Asaph is really, like, he's mad. He is calling all stops. God, I want you to like, just destroy them. Not just destroy them. So destroyed that the existence of them never even ent- entered the earth. I can understand where he's coming from. I don't know if you've ever been so frustrated at a situation that your emotions get the best of you. Uh, I can imagine the girls in the canoe thinking, this is hopeless. We're not going anywhere. All of our friends are up there. This is the point. This is what we want to do. We want to have fun with our friends. We're going to be stuck at camp all day long alone. The food is not there. Of course, Dave and Becky were back there. I'm sure they would have fed him. But the food is not there, but the fun is not there. These things that we want to do with our friends, done. Frustrated, angry. I can imagine. If it was me in that canoe, you know what I would be angry at? The wind. Oh, my goodness, that incessant, never-stops wind just keeps blowing and blowing and blowing and never, ever quits. It's good when it's at your back, but it's terrible when it's in your face. Frustrating. So, I look at this psalm and I say, what is the message that we need today? In my mind... The first thing is I look for enemies around me and want to just say, okay, oh, uh, they, those people seem to be like they're against the church, so I'm, this is about them. So I should pray against 
people. Um, I think that's maybe not the best use of this passage. In fact, I, I think a lot of bad things have happened when the church followed the passage in that direction in our history. Let's look maybe somewhere else. Because I don't think it's complicated at all what the message can be here today. One of the messages is, when they were in desperate circumstances, what did Asaph do? What did Asaph lead his people to do? To pray. He called out to God. Now, let's say I came up here. Let's say Nick came up here, Darren, any other leaders and came up and said, we've got a problem. What's the first thing we're going to do? Let's have a meeting about it. Let's do it. Okay, so there's obviously certain things that we got to look at here. Um, these are the details of whatever problem it is. Um, we've done that in our church before. We've looked up and seen water leaking in the middle of the service right here in front of us. And we, and we said, okay, so what are we going to do? We've got to fix the leak. So we've got to get some up there and have a look and all of this stuff. Okay, my natural tendency is how am I going to solve this problem? But Asaph is in dire, Israel is in dire circumstances. What's going to happen? The girls in the middle of the lake, they, they were tired. They had paddled for 20 minutes, okay? They're not real big. Their arms are about this big around. There's some point where they just, they can't go anymore. What are they going to do? I love that the Bible shows the people who follow God in all of their humanness. I love that because I know that I'm human and I know that I struggle with all those things. I know that I get frustrated. I get mad and then I want to throw things. That's my thing, okay? I'm sitting on the side of my house, renovating my house years ago, hitting the wrong nail and I'm just like, I look at that hammer and you know, if I didn't have neighbors, that thing would be two miles away because I was just mad. Just anger just gets there right now. Or maybe, here's another one, someone does something to your child that is unjust. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of mamas out there can think of that and just feel the hair go up on the back of their neck. They're angry. And so what do we do then? We pray, God, I need you to do this. And that's what Asaph is doing. Asaph is giving God instructions. Okay, God, I just want to make sure you're listening. There's this stuff going on. He explained it. Now, what I want you to do, this is what you need to do. I need you to um, get rid of them, you know, annihilate them. Just like you did those other guys. Yeah, do that again. So uh, I'll, we'll wait here for that. What did God do? Nah, we don't know. We don't know what God did because um, we don't know all the circumstances around it. But could God have done what Asaph asked? Absolutely. He's totally powerful. He can do that in a second. Um, even, he even sometimes decided to do those sorts of things in the Old Testament. But the most important thing is that Asaph goes on to say why he feels that God should flex his muscles. Let's read from verse 14 to 18. 
As fire burns a forest, as a flame blazes through mountains, so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame so that they will seek your name, Lord. Let them be put to shame and terrified forever. Let them perish in disgrace. May they know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over the whole earth. You alone are the most high over the earth. Asaph knows this truth. That's why he's calling out to God. He knows that God is the God over everything. We can't just skip over this part because we often do, if you've been in church any length of time, as I have, it's often, you hear things so many times you're inoculated to them. Like you don't see them anymore and don't notice them anymore. But we need to hang out here. And when I did this and I just sort of hung out there, I had some questions. Like why did Asaph say, whose name is the Lord. Like he interrupted his sentence to say, I just want to let you know who this is. And so I studied that word. His name is the Lord. The name is Jehovah. I'm not a Greek guy, but I went into my, I googled it because you can do that, right? And I went and I looked and I looked for the definition of Jehovah. One of them is self-existing. Try and get your brain around that a little bit. Self-existing. There's nothing here, nobody here that can say, I made or I sustain myself. I mean, we're here now, and I like to think that I got a pretty good job, and I go to my job, and I work hard, and I get paid for it. So it's all me. However, think about what's going on the last five or six months. We are on the precipice All it takes is one little virus that you can't even see. And it just messes it all up. I have some experience with health issues. And I know that if one little thing goes wrong, it all falls apart. We are being sustained. So we can't say we self-exist. And yet that's what Asaph is saying about God. This is his name. He self-exists. He's above all of these things. Now I've talked and I can't find my place. Where am I here? Another word that I looked at in this passage was the word Israel. What does Israel mean? Struggled with God. Israel, the word Israel came when, when Jacob had a argument with God, not an argument, a wrestling match. He didn't even know it was God. He had a wrestling match with God. And at that point, God changed his name to Israel, struggles with God. And I thought, how real is that? Israel struggling with God, because that's what they did their whole existence, and they still are. And I still am. And the struggle is all about, I found in my life, control. The struggle is about How am I going to wrestle control away from God? Essentially, that's what the nations were doing too. The nations didn't want God to be God. They didn't want Israel to be God. And we learned that Israel and God were connected just like this. So they figured, well, the best way to deal with that is just to get rid of Israel. We don't have to start hear anymore about this God over everything because they didn't believe in that God. They had a bunch of little little gods to do all the other little things. They wanted to believe in them. 
So they wanted to control. How are we going to get to control? We're going to destroy them. Asaph also. God, I need you to do that. Here's my problem. I need you to do this. Do it this way. Hmm. He wanted control too. You and me do too. It's the age-old struggle. It's all about control. So what do we do with this? That's what I always ask myself. So who cares? What difference does this truth mean? What difference does knowing that God is above all things, what, what difference does that make? Like, really, in my life, in your lives. Let's go back to the girls in the canoe. There they are, paddling away. Hopelessness descends upon them. I wasn't there. I was a long ways away. But I can imagine there might have been tears, okay? Whether you were a teenage girl, if you were a teenage boy alone, you might have cried too, but not told anybody about it. Um, They never called for help. They didn't say, oh, uh, chat, I need some help. They never did. I never really gave them the chance because I saw they were in trouble and I went over there and got them. I don't know how long it would have taken. Maybe they never would have. If I was in that canoe, the first thing that I would do would not be to call for help. I've got to figure this out. And even when it was hopeless, I would have hesitated to ask for help because of the pride in my heart because, you know what, I don't need help. I have been confronted this summer. God has confronted me several times in circumstances through my reading of the Bible and uh, other books, I've been confronted with the idea that we don't ask God for help enough. And yet the truth is, in the Bible it constantly tells us that we're supposed to ask. Let's go to John 15, 1 to 8. So I'll give you a chance to scroll there or turn there or whatever it's going to take. John 15. We're going to quickly go through this passage. I'm going to read the whole thing and then um, highlight one of the verses. Because I think it's just critical to what's going on here. Some of you may have heard it before. It's not a story necessarily, but an analogy that, that Jesus talks about, about the vine and the branches. John 15, verse 1. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. I think, um, I'm not a gardener, but my wife, Mona, sometimes goes out to to her flower garden and deadheads the flowers. I I think we're getting rid of the bad ones so that the good ones can flourish, just plucking them off, and I see... Things flying over their shoulder when they're out there doing their stuff. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Keep that in mind, that's important. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing. There's no hedging any bets there, okay? That's like, for the most part, you can't do everything without me. No. You can do nothing without me. This is Jesus talking. Remind you of that. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Wow. That's not nothing. That is significant. Ask whatever you want. So let's try that out for a second. I'll give you a scenario. In two weeks, my daughter, Danae, is going to head up to um, Hepburn and go to Thrive, go to school there at their discipleship college. Um, We're excited for her. She's never left Swift Current in her car, okay? She's done a little bit. She went out to Pamram the other day to visit a friend, and she's gone to the landing. But you know what? Saskatoon, okay? I don't know how that's going to work. And so you can just imagine um, the first time Danae heads up there and has to drive into Saskatoon to do whatever, um, Mona and I are going to be like, oh, boy, we can't be there with her. It's all you, Danae. No, it's not all you because we're going to be here praying for you, okay? And I know Grandma Sylvia is going to be praying. And you need to text her when you get where you're going because she's going to need to know that. And so what if we prayed like this? And we all do this. Dear God, I need you to protect Danae. And we got in a bit of a frenzy over it and just like, oh, we got to, where are you now? Danae, uh, just give your phone to the friend so they can text us and just let us know. Like, are you on 8th now? Are you, are you headed over here? Is this what you're doing? Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, we're good. Okay, just let us know when you get there. All right, good. Um, all right. And we can pray like that. Keep her safe. That's not a bad prayer. However, maybe in addition to our prayer should be, Lord, help me have the faith to believe that you are going to do what you need to do in Danae's life no matter what happens. That's the harder prayer. If I abide in him and he abides in me, our comfort is not God's ultimate goal. Our reliance on him is his ultimate goal. If we trust in him, that is the place where he wants us. The Israelites in the desert, back after they left Egypt and they were going to the promised land, they sat there. That was the point. God tested them over and over and over. How are you going to do when we get to the promised land? I need you to learn how to trust me. I need you to learn how to trust me. Will you trust me? I need you to learn how to trust me. You have to learn how to trust me. They got to the promised land. Guess what they didn't do? Trust them. 
Trust. Ask whatever you want. So, this week, you have an excellent opportunity. Nick already talked about it. We're doing 40 days of prayer. When does that start, Nick? Tuesday? Tuesday. Excellent. So on Tuesday, you can start praying. If you're not getting emails that Sylvia writes up and gets us going on this, then you need to contact the church because they'll send them to you and they'll find a way to get it to you. They'll do it. Ask whatever you want. We are in circumstances that we haven't seen before here at Bridgeway in our world. There are other churches doing many other different things. And here we are. We haven't had a service yet and lots have. Decisions are being made. We are leaders, people here. The people here making the decisions, they're they're making some decisions. And they are feeling that God is calling us right now to pray. To pray earnestly. Because this is not just something that is, that just sort of happened. Now you're not going to get me to say God caused this virus and killed millions of people. You're not going to get me to say that. However, things happen and here we are. And we can respond one way or we can respond another way. Remember what I said, God's goal is not your comfort. Now it may surprise you that God's goal is not that we all could sit in these pews again. That's not his goal. Is it a bad thing? No, it's a good thing. Do we come here and worship? Absolutely. His ultimate goal is not that we have worship services here. He could do it in people's homes. He could do it in a different place. He does it all the time, all over the world. His ultimate goal is that we trust him. And so I would say that we need to take ourselves to a place where we need to trust him. Take ourselves, use these circumstances and say, okay, God, Don't know what it looks like. We are Bridgeway Community Church. We are here together. And we want to serve you. What do you want us to do? How do we reset after this? How do, what does Bridgeway Community Church look from this point on? It may look different. I hope it does. A thought ran through my head. At times, I've been involved in the hiring of pastors and youth pastors and lead pastors. And um, whenever we're hiring a, lead, a youth pastor, people, I hear all the time people saying, well, the youth are the free future of our church. church. And I'm like, no. You know who the future of the church is? It's your neighbor. It's my neighbor. It's the people that I work with. It's those people that I see driving by right now through the window. That's my neighbor. That's the future of the church. If all we're doing is relying on the propagation of our own people to grow the church, then we better start having more babies. Apparently, I'm not done. This week, we have a chance. I would really encourage you to contact the office to let them know that you're coming. I want to see, oh man, I would like to see so many people want to come, they're going to say, hey, we got to do two of these a night. We have to, we're, we're going to do one, how many, we can have 103 people, right? So 103 people, um, we need to have two of these a week. 
I want to see that. I want to see people saying, there is a God, and he is self-existent. And we are in a place, and we are in circumstances right now where people are hurting. And people are wondering, what's this going to do? School opens up. What's going to happen? We're not sure. Parents are nervous. Teachers are nervous. What's going to happen? I don't know. My parents are old. What's going to happen to them? Do I go visit them? I don't know. We're in a place where we don't know what to do. And it's time to pray. I really believe it's time to pray. And not just a little bit. Like, let's just do it a lot. Like, we need to persist. Because Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. What do I want? We're talking big picture as elders, as the elder team. I'll tell you what I want. I want to feel bold enough to talk to my neighbor. And not just about the length of our lawns. I want the people in this congregation to be so fired up about Jesus Christ that they can't help it, that it just comes out of them. I got to tell you about Jesus. I want that to be what Bridgeway is all about. That's the future of our church. Or it will die. Because we can't make babies enough to keep it open. Six o'clock, Wednesday. Call the church before you come so that they can organize it. This is the world we live in. Got to let people know. We got to plan a little, right? Bring a mask if you want to sing. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be there. Mona will be there. We're coming. And we're going to be ready to pray. I would encourage you today, tomorrow, Tuesday, start praying for the prayer. Praying that we would pray what you want us to pray, what God wants us to pray. And so I'm going to send you off this week saying, guess what you got to do? You got to pray. Why? What was that verse again? Let's go back to it. May they know, may you know, may I know that you alone, God, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over the whole earth. If you're at home and you agree, say amen out loud because that is the truth and we rely on that truth. Let's pray. And then you can eat lunch. Dear God, I'm so thankful for today. I thank you that um, your word just messes me right up. I thank you that you have put us in this place and that you have disrupted so many things in our lives so that we have to think again, okay, we're not in control. We're not like the nations around Israel and we're not like Asaph where we have to tell you what to do. We think we know, we don't know. I thank you for all the awesome things that you are going to do after we plead with you in prayer to come, to fill our hearts. I just picture it, Lord. Our world needs you. 
And so I pray that you would prepare the people that we meet. You would prepare their hearts. Start working in them right now. So that when you give us the boldness, and when you get, away, get rid of that fear of what other people think, and that when you do that, not if, but when we come and pray, and it happens, and we do, that they'll be ready. You are an awesome God. That they may know you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Amen. Have a good week.